0: Say, the word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Opening Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. As you turn there, it's only a few pages over. I want to remind you that next week is our launch giving day. What we do at the end of every year is we take a time to thank God through an act of over and above giving. And what do we mean by over above? It's over and above your normal tithes and offering. We don't give a set amount people have to give. We just ask for you to pray. And whatever the Lord leads you to give, that's what you give. You obey the leading of the Holy Ghost in your own heart. We said this year our over and above gift is going to rewrapping and getting our vans in condition so we can bring more people to church. It's also going to upgrading our Kids World curriculum. It's also going to how we're going to do new outreach in the new area as well as any additional expenses we need as we move to our new debt-free building. Amen. And so next Sunday, if you're not here, you can already give online or via text. Just make sure you select the option that says launch. But we're going to come here. We're going to give our gifts, and we know God is going to do something amazing with it. Amen? It's almost like when Jesus got into Peter's boat. And because Jesus got into Peter's boat, there was a great catch. Your gift is like the boat. Will you let Jesus into your boat through giving next week? Amen? So Galatians, I mean, Genesis chapter 3. And many of us are very familiar of the story of the fall of man. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, God gave them the whole world. He says, you can eat any tree of the garden, but the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not allowed to eat it. Now, Adam had the command of the garden, so he was supposed to work the garden, supposed to care for the garden, supposed to harvest the garden. So he was supposed to harvest the tree of good and evil, but he wasn't supposed to eat it. That fruit was reserved for God. Now, what does that symbolic of and seem similar to the tithe? That 90% belongs to us, but the 10% is reserved just for God. And so Adam broke the only command he had. Eve broke the only command they had by partaking of what was reserved for God. And the moment they did it, the sin nature came upon them. Sin entered into the world, death into the world, The curse entered into the world verse 17 God told Adam cursed is the ground for your sake and sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life another translation says cursed is the earth because of you so it doesn't even say that God cursed the earth it says Adam did Adam's disobedience brought curse into the earth and into his family now, what is the first thing that happens after God tells them how life is going to be from now on? He speaks to the serpent. He speaks to Adam. He speaks to Eve. Now, what's one of the first things God does? Verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, we just read over that scripture, okay, God made them clothes and move on. But it's coats of skins. It's coats from an animal. So what happened? Right after Adam and Eve sin, somebody had to die. Blood had to be shed. Death always requires blood. Death always requires a substitute. So since the fall of man, a substitutionary sacrifice was always needed. One. God is our father, yes but he's also holy. Holy. When the angels fly around the throne, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy. One of the amazing things about God is his holiness, right? Now, the glory of God is the glory of a holy God. And the glory of God is as creative of good as is as destructive of evil. Which means a fallen man cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. Why? The sin nature is upon them. They took on the nature of Satan. Sin is upon them. God is still love, even the Old Testament. And even if he wanted to reach out and grab at him, to hug him close, he couldn't because the glory would destroy him. So there had to be some type of covering made so that Adam and Eve could still have a relationship with God. All throughout the Old Testament, you'll see sacrifices. Substitutionary sacrifices. Why do I keep saying substitutionary? Because somebody had to die. The wages of sin is... So in order for them to have their sins covered... There had to be death, and there had to be shedding of blood. One of the most important sacrificial animals was the lamb. So let's look at the lamb's importance for a few moments. Go to Exodus 29. Go to Exodus 29. We're going to look at verse 38. Exodus 29, verse 38. Exodus chapter 29, verse 38. So says, Now this is that which you shall offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year day by day continually. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at evening. And with the one lamb, a tenth of dill of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil, and the fourth part of a hint of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb we shall offer at even, and shall do thereunto according to the meat offering of the morning, and according to the drink offering thereof, for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto you. And there I will meet the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So what is one of the laws here? Every day two lambs were sacrificed on a continual basis. Why? So that God could dwell among them. In order for Israel, fallen, sinful Israel, to have a relationship with God, there had to be a continual sacrifice, a continual flood flow of substitutionary blood. The lamb's sacrifice allowed imperfect and fallen Israel to have a relationship with the holy God and to be in his presence. When he keeps studying the Old Testament, he see the lamb was sacrificed for a sin offering and a trespass offering. So you don't just have those two lambs only there. It's continual sacrifices of animals. When lepers were cleansed or healed, in order for them to rejoin the community, because lepers were ostracized for the community, if they got the disease of leprosy, they were not allowed to be part of the general congregation of Israel. They were excluded. They were cast out. They even had to say unclean, unclean, if they have to go into the city so everybody would avoid them. But in order for them, if they happened to be cured, if they happened to be clean, if the disease left, a lamb had to be sacrificed for them to rejoin the community. You also see studying the law that the lambs are also provision for the priest and his family. So lambs were substitutionary sacrifices, but they're also provision. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Look at verse 5 this time. This is a familiar passage. It's about the Exodus out of Egypt before the last judgment falls upon Egypt. And God gives them specific instructions. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts, and upon the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So Israel put the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, and they were delivered in a moon from the destruction that was about to fall on Egypt. As a result of that lamb's blood, They were rescued and redeemed from Egypt. The night they put the blood on the doorpost, they were to eat the sacrificial lamb. Because he didn't say, just put the blood up. He says, now you guys can eat that meal. Now, what did that meal do to these millions of people who have been enslaved for hundreds of years? Go to Psalm 105, verse 37. Because that meal did something to them. They may not have expected it, but when they ate that meal, it changed them. Psalm 105, verse 37. The Lamb was very important in Old Testament times. Psalm 105, verse 37. Speaking of this instance, what happens? He says, he brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble, meaning weak or sickly person among their tribes. Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Millions of people, young and old, coming out of Egypt, every one of them was healthy and every one of them was strong. What happened? When they ate that lamb, God renewed their youth. When they ate that lamb, sickness and disease left their body. And after they ate their lamb, God said, go and ask your Egyptian neighbors for whatever the best stuff they have, whatever you want. And what happened? They gave it to them. Why? They had favor after they ate the lamb. After they received the lamb, there was favor. After they received the lamb, there was healing. After they received the lamb, there was strength. After they received the lamb, there was provision once they partook of the lamb. Go to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verse 6, in this passage, we see that God tells Abraham, go and offer your only son, Isaac, upon the altar for me for a sacrifice. Now, we already know that Isaac is the son of promise, that God already told him through Isaac will the blessing come on the entire world. Through Isaac shall all families of the earth be blessed. Through Isaac shall his seed be as numerous as the stars of the sky as the sand of the shore. But God tells him, take Isaac, your only son Isaac, he emphasizes, and offer him up. And do you know what Abraham says? Okay. Now, God would never ask someone today to do that. How do you know that? Abraham had a covenant with God that was very specific for those times. What one party was willing to do, the other party had to be willing to do. Abraham, outside of Jesus, is one of the most important people in the Bible. Because if it wasn't for Abraham's obedience, most other things that happened in the Bible could not have happened. So God receives the instructions. I mean, Abraham receives the instructions from God and he heads up the mountain. He leaves two of the guys who came with the party behind, and he says, me and the lad will come back again. Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just told God yes, and so you're going to sacrifice your son, but you just told two other people, we're both coming back. What does that mean? Abraham's faith had developed to such a point that he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. According to what we've seen in the Bible to this point, no one had been raised from the dead yet. But he believed God could do something new just for him. That's where his faith had gotten to by this point. So when you see verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, here, I, he, here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the what? The what? For a burnt offering. That is a good question. Isaac has been to many sacrifices before. He's like, Dad, I know you're getting a little bit older, but we're missing something very important. But What does Abraham say? My son, God will provide himself for what? God will provide himself for what? For a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Second words of faith. God will provide himself a lamb. God called for a lamb, so God will provide himself a lamb. And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, we just read over that and think Isaac didn't have a choice. Most commentators believe that Isaac is between the age 13 and 40 at this point. Isaac could have fought Abraham off. He says, why don't you get on that table? Why don't you sacrifice yourself? I'll go back down the mountain myself. So we talk about the obedience of Abraham, but you can't miss the obedience of Isaac. Isaac willingly put himself on that table. He willingly let himself be bound. He was willing to be sacrificed. It is the obedience of Abraham and the obedience of Isaac that was on this side of the covenant. It says, Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And it says, here am I. And it says, lay not your hand upon the lad; neither do you do anything unto him. For I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. God provided a ram. But Abraham said God would provide a... But remember what I said. What one party in covenant is willing to do means the other party has to be willing. So God found a man who was willing to offer up his son he found a son that was willing to offer up himself. So now legally, he can offer up his son. And his son can come into the earth to take the payment for sin for all time. He needed one person to say yes so that he can do what he always wanted to do. Because Abraham was obedient, because Isaac was obedient, Jesus could come. If they weren't obedient, your Savior couldn't come. We couldn't have the season to celebrate. We couldn't sing these songs. But Abraham and Isaac were obedient, and it opened the door for Jesus to come. So go to John chapter 1, verse 29. We talked about the importance of the Lamb. John chapter 1 verse 29. It was a substitutionary sacrifice. Ever since the fall of man, there had to be a substitution. There had to be a sacrifice. Someone had to pay the payment of death. Something had to shed its blood. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming into him and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. Those faith would stood for thousands of years. And then John the Baptist proclaims, there he is. The prophet Abraham said he's coming. The prophet John says, there he is. Here is the substitutionary sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. But see, Jesus would want up the Old Testament. That's why we have the New Testament, a new covenant. It's a better covenant with better promises. Under the Old Covenant... They would have to continually sacrifice. Under the New Covenant, read Hebrews, only one sacrifice is needed. Under the Old Testament, it would only cover their sins. Under the New Covenant, Jesus took them. If you're a believer and you've confessed your sins, your sins aren't covered, they're gone. Jesus took them, they don't exist anymore. They ain't yours. That past isn't yours. All those wrong things you did, it isn't yours. Why? Jesus took it. Stop trying to get things back from Jesus that he took. Go to Isaiah 53. Jesus is the Lamb of God. isaiah fifty three this passage prophetically speaking of Jesus when he gets to verse four it says surely he has borne our griefs that word grief means sickness, and carried our sorrows. The word sorrow means pain. Matthew 8, 6, 17 says this way. "They translated saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So what is saying that Jesus, the Lamb of God, does? He takes sickness. That Greek word there in Matthew implies a violent taking. He took your sickness. So stop calling it my arthritis, my bad back, my diabetes, my this or that. It ain't yours. If you keep claiming it, you can keep it. Jesus took it. So stop carrying what Jesus took. It ain't yours. Jesus took it. So he took your sickness. He took your pain. It yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquity. That word iniquity means perversity, depravity, guilt, or punishment of iniquity. So he was wounded for every perverse thing we've done. He was wounded for every depraved thing we've done. He was wounded for our guilt. He was bruised for it all. Wounded for our rebellion against God. For every time we decided to go our own way, no matter what God said, the wound was put on Jesus. The bruise was put on Jesus. The chastisement or the punishment of our peace, that word peace and shalom is wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. The punishment that was required so we could be whole was put on Jesus. And with his stripes, we are healed. Every stripe in his back was so that we could be healed. Isaiah is looking forward, looking at what's happening and the spirit. He's seeing what Jesus is going through. But when you get to Peter 30 years after it's happened, he says, we were healed. It's done. It's handled forever. So when we think of Jesus' being whipped on that whipping post with the cat of nine tails. It's a whip that had nine lashes on it, with every lash had bone, glass, and metal, and sharp rocks and objects. So every time they hit him, his flesh was ripped out. They did it 39 times. 40 lashes was a death sentence. So they whipped. Jesus into an inch of his life so that you could be healed. Not be healed one day, but live healed forever. With his stripes, we are healed. With his stripes, we were healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everything we did wrong, every time we missed it, every time we did the wrong thing, the punishment was placed on Jesus. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He's taking on a punishment he doesn't deserve. He took your sins by faith. He took your sickness and your disease by faith. He took the depression and the curse by faith. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off off the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why did it please a holy God? To bruise his perfect son. Why did it please a holy God to punish his perfect son? Why did it please a holy God to make his perfect son suffer? So you wouldn't suffer. So you wouldn't pay the punishment. So you wouldn't pay the price. So it pleased God for Jesus to take the price, to take your place, so you won't have to die the death he did. Jesus took your place. We all deserve to be on that cross. We all deserve to be beaten like that. We all deserve to go to hell. But Jesus took your place. He took your sins. He took your sickness. He took your disease. He took your depression. He took your poverty. He took your oppression. He took whatever belonged to you because of the curse, because of sin. He took it because it pleased His Father. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. What is that? The claims of justice have been satisfied. That means I don't have to do one thing to pay for me being just. I don't have to do one thing to pay for me being righteous. The claims of justice have been satisfied. All I have to do is believe and receive. I don't have to pay for my sins because somebody already paid the price. That's what we say every time we say, behold the Lamb of God. And my righteous servant shall justify many. I'm one of those many. You're one of those many if you believed on him. For as many I believe on him, he gives them the right, the privilege to be called sons of God. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great. Who is the great? If he received Jesus, now you're the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? You're the strong now. Because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What do we now sing, O Baron? Thou that did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that did not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the Mary life, says the Lord. And Lord is the place of your tent. And let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitation. Spare not lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you shall bread forth on the right hand and on the left. Your seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not for you shall not be ashamed neither be thou confounded for you shall not be put to shame for you shall forget the shame of your youth, and you shall not remember the approach of your widowhood anymore. Why, 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 why there was a lamb? He
1: took the price of
0: It ends in verse 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't mean the weapons won't be formed. It doesn't mean the weapons won't be fired, but it won't work. It won't be able to attend its purpose. Why? There was a lamb. Just because Satan has crafted his perfect attack to take you down, just because he launched everything hell had against you, it doesn't mean it can work because there was a lamb. And every tongue that rises up against you, you shall condemn and judge. This is the heritage of the service of the Lord. And the righteousness of me, says the Lord. Why is the righteousness of him? Because the lamb paid the price for them to be righteous. If you, be, if, if you receive Jesus, you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Thank God for the Lamb of God. He took our sins. He took our sickness. He took our diseases. He took our punishment. He took our oppression. He took our depression. He took everything that would rob us from being whole. He took It all because he loved you. First Peter one, verse eighteen. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation or lifestyle received from by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without. Spot. We've been redeemed by the blood of a lamb. We look at verse twenty. So he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That means God already made up His mind before you were even created to do whatever it took to give you the opportunity to live free of sin, free from any mistake. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Glory to the Lamb of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. That word "redeem" we just looked at it in Peter. Same in Galatians. It means to liberate by payment of ransom. To cause to be released to oneself by payment of a ransom. Jesus was ransomed. He paid our ransom for us. To deliver from evils of every kind, internal and external. Every kind. If it's evil, Jesus paid the price so you don't have to have it. It says Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? It broke down into three areas. Poverty, sickness, and death. Death. If Jesus tarries, we're all going to go by the way of the grave. But the New Testament teaches Jesus took the sting of death. Amen. That means when you die, you won't feel it. You're not gonna feel it. You're gonna die all of a sudden you're gonna feel a lot better. It's like, oh, what's going on here? Hey, look, I'm flying. All the way to glory. He took the sting of death. He took the fear of death. You don't have to be afraid of death. Because all death is for the believer is a taxi cab to glory. You don't have to die prematurely. You don't have to die early. It doesn't matter how early your ancestors died. It doesn't matter what killed them. If you put your faith in the Lamb of God, it can't kill you. If you put your faith and do what he says, you don't have to die at 40 of heart problems. Diabetes doesn't have to take you down. You don't have to go through all these series of cancer. Why? Jesus paid the price. Now, how do you do it? it? says he's redeemed us from the curse of the law, poverty, sickness, and death by being made a curse for us. Do you know part of the curse of the law where poverty is concerned in the Old Testament? It's saying you make money and you put it in po- your pocket, but it's like your pocket has holes in it. You keep making, but as soon as you make it, it's gone. So you can never get ahead. Jesus paid that price. don't matter what the government do it doesn't matter what's in the system doesn't matter if it's systematic or personal or individual or whatever jesus paid the price you are not limited by what the american government chooses to give you the american government is broke why would you depend on them in the first place Jesus paid the price by being made a curse. Think about this. The concept of a cursed Messiah. When you read the Old Testament, you look in some of the Hebrew translations, they refer to God as the blessed one. So the son of the blessed one himself became cursed. The one who is the blessing, where all blessing emanates from, became a curse so that we might receive the blessing of Abraham and the promise of the Spirit. He became cursed for you. See, Balaam learned this lesson the hard way in the Old Testament. You cannot curse whom God has blessed. So it doesn't matter what witch or warlock tries to do to you. It doesn't matter what any demon from hell tries to do to you. It doesn't matter if Satan himself comes and tries to curse you. You cannot curse whom God has blessed. It doesn't matter what your haters have to say about you. You've got the blessing of God. The blessing of the Lord is upon you. So refuse to receive the words of the world. Refuse to receive the reports of the world. You're blessed. So it doesn't look at like it doesn't matter what it looks like. Keep saying it. Keep calling it. Keep speaking it, because that's your reality, and the blessing will overtake every evidence the curse left. Because if you keep meditating on the blessing and that you're blessed, you'll go to places that are cursed, and the curse gotta go. See, it's not just about you being blessed. It's about you taking the blessing. That's why we're blessing neighborhoods and nations. What does that mean? We're removing the curse. Wherever we go, it's gotta go. That's why we went to Zimbabwe, had a rain. The curse is removed. And I was looking at certain things that would happen in the nation recently, and the Lord talked about it on that Sunday while we were there about changes that were coming. We thought it was gonna be next year, but God did it quickly. The blessing is supposed to remove the curse. Wherever it's supposed to go, the per- curse is supposed to run. Why? You're blessed. You can't curse what God has blessed. doesn't matter what generational curse supposedly runs through your family. Let's talk about generational blessings. and even if it's taking down many people before you, for you to say, it ended in the last generation. It ain't going no further. So I'm going to win the victory for my family. So if Jesus carries. they won't have to deal with what I fought. Yeah. You're supposed to live so well and fight so well, your kids don't have to go through the same battles you went through. Yeah. That it makes no sense of them to have to have the same struggle because you fought the fought of faith. You walked in the blessing. Now all they know is generational blessings. Yeah. Why? Because you put your faith in the Lamb of God. You're Abraham's seed because you belong to Christ. So every blessing that went to Abraham goes to you too. You're as much the seed of Abraham as Isaac is. So as much as the blessing can go to Isaac, the blessing goes to you. So go to Revelation chapter 5. Let's wrap this up. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Glory to God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's the reason we celebrate Christmas, because God sent a lamb. That's what it's all about. He sent a lamb. The lamb was born. That's what it's all about. And the purpose of even having experience near Christmas or talking about Christmas things is to put you in remembrance Christ Mass is a celebration of Christ. It's putting you in remembrance what he did. You look through the Old Testament, there were times when God called for different festivals so that people would remember what God did. But you even look in the book of Esther, God's people would call festivals to remember what God did. So you can be all spiritual and woke or whatever you want to be on Facebook. I don't know if we should celebrate Christmas or not. You got Old Testament precedent. God calls festivals. Men call festivals for the purpose of remembering God. So you enjoy yourself having a merry Christmas. You remember what Jesus did for you. You remember that there was a lamb. Chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look upon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon. And one of the elders says unto me, Weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. We'll talk about that next week. The root of David has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne, Of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the seven manifestations of the Holy Ghost, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the book. Why was he worthy to take the book? Because he took everything else for us. And to open the seals thereof, for thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worship him that lives forever and ever. We're going to be talking about Jesus being the lamb of God for eternity. That's what they're singing about in heaven. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Oh, worthy is the Lamb. Oh, worthy is the Lamb. That's what we're saying forever. Worthy is the Lamb. What are we saying? He took my place. Worthy is the one who took my place. Worthy is the one... Who took my sickness. Worthy is the one who took my disease. Worthy is the one who took my depression. Worthy is the one who took the curse. Worthy is the one who took my poverty. Worthy is the one who took everything bad that was in my family. Worthy is the one who took my place. Worthy. And because he's worthy, he made you worthy. Because there's blessing and glory and honor and power and wisdom forever. But didn't Isaiah tell us He divided his portion with the great and with the strong. All that blessing and glory and honor and power and wisdom and riches, Jesus said, y'all can have some too. Hebrews says he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. You know, some people are ashamed of family. You know, some people have members of the family they just don't talk about. They call them the black sheep. But the Lamb of God came so there'll be no black sheep in the family of God. Jesus is not ashamed of you. If you walked in the room, he said, that's my brother, that's my sister. They belong to me. See, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, says an interesting phrase. that echoes what we already saw in 1 Peter 1.21. It calls Jesus, the Lamb of that was slain from the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Before it all began, God the Father and God the Son had a conversation. The Father says, "We're going to make them, but they're going to mess up. They're going to screw it all up. They get them to all sorts of mess." And Jesus says, "I know it." Somebody, the Father says. Has to take their punishment. Do you know what Jesus says? I'll take it. Someone has to take the punishment of their sins. And Jesus says, I'll take it. Someone has to take their sicknesses. I'll take it. Someone has to take their diseases. I'll take it. Someone has to take the penalty for their poverty. I'll take it. Someone has to take the mental oppression and depression. I'll take it. Someone has to take every bad thing they do and every punishment that comes up with it. I'll take it. Because I can take it. Jesus took it because he could take it. You couldn't pay the punishment of sin if you lived a thousand lives. But Jesus said, I can handle it, so I'll take it. Do you know what that means? You don't have to pay for your sins. Put that in practical terms. We serve a Jesus that can deliver you from alcoholism and give you a brand-new liver. We serve a Jesus that can deliver you from a nicotine addiction and give you a brand new set of lungs. We serve a Jesus who can deliver you from a meth addiction and give you some new teeth. We serve a Jesus who can forgive you for whatever you did to mess up your family and grant you a new one. You might say, I was a horrible parent to my kids growing up. Now they don't have anything to do with me. I have to pay for years to fix it. Who said so? Since when do you have to pay for your mistakes, Christian? Jesus paid for it all. You said, well, I made so many financial missteps and mistakes. I don't know how I'm going to pay it all. Who said you have to? I deserve to be in the position I'm in. I'm not talking about what you deserve. I'm talking about what Jesus deserves. He paid the price. So stop paying the price that Jesus already paid for. You don't have to pay for anything you did wrong. Why? Jesus already paid it. Why would you try to pay for things twice? It makes no sense. So stop believing religion and believe the book. He's the Lamb of God. He took your place. He paid the price. So you need to believe it. You need to receive it. And every day you gotta thank God for sending a lamb. The lamb made you worthy. The lamb shed his blood. And it works so well that when the Father sees you, he doesn't see some old sinner saved by grace. He sees you as perfect and as pure as Jesus himself. For you to say you're unworthy is a slap in the face of the blood. You are worthy. Because Jesus made you worthy. So never say I'm unworthy ever again. So, well, grace is undeserved. Yep. Once you receive it, now you're worthy. Don't say, well, I have to wait a few weeks to get healed because I, I, I did something wrong yesterday. Repent and receive. You're healing. Stop running from God and making up excuses why you can't talk to God right now. Well, God's mad at me. And he's madly in love with you. He may not like what you just did, but he doesn't want you to separate yourself for three weeks before you can come talk to him. That's why he sent Jesus. You can boldly come into the throne of grace. Boldly. Boldly. Not tiptoe. Boldly. Why? You belong there. Because there was a lamb. The lamb came not just to give you access to the throne, but to give you a seat at the throne. The only people that can sit in the presence of royalty have to be royalty themselves. So he says, boldly come to the throne of grace and take a seat. The lamb provided it for you. Now, once you receive the lamb, we live a life as a result of what we received. Just because we don't have to pay for our sins doesn't mean we sin and do whatever we want to do. Why? We still serve a holy God. But now that Jesus come, now we can be holy as he is holy because the blood purged us from our sins and made room for the Holy Spirit to come live on the inside of us, to give us the character of Jesus and the power of Jesus. So stand to your feet. He is the Lamb of God. He took your sins. He took your sickness. He took your disease. He took your pain. So you have to believe it. So if you got pain in your back right now or any type of back issues, you come forward. Any type of pain in your back or back issues, you come forward. Jesus took it. Now, if you have any other sickness or disease or pain in your body that I didn't call concerning your back, you stay where you are and you lift your hands towards heaven. Any other type of sickness or disease or pain, just lift your hands up to heaven, up to the Lamb of God. And believers around them, you put your hand on them, people who may be lifting their hands for whatever. And as I lay hands on these individuals, the same healing power that's about to hit their body is going to come into everyone in this audience, everyone watching online, everyone listening to this podcast. Jesus took your back pain. He took whatever thing is causing issues in your back. If Jesus took it, you don't have to have it. Do you believe it? The Bible says believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I'm going to lay my hands on you in accordance that Jesus took it. So that means after I lay hands on you, begin to do what you couldn't do before. Amen? Go in and sing, Minister Dathan, or at me's Department. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing power. Glory to God. so I can hold it up. He is Jesus,
1: the Lamb of God. He is the healer yesterday, today, and forevermore. Hallelujah to
0: Jesus. Your faith has made you whole sister. Go home and enjoy your healing. <laughs> Here is a healer. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, sis, because that's connected to your shoe, you may need to put that back on. I don't want you to walk in the parking lot with one shoe on. So go ahead and put that back on if you need to. We know that you're healed and whole because of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.